Hi there, skating fans. Welcome to another edition of the Skate Canada Alumni Podcast. I'm Alex Kilby, Technology Projects Manager at Skate Canada, and welcome back to the Skate Canada Alumni Podcast. This podcast is our opportunity to dive into our organization's rich history and to learn about the careers of our alumni members. The competitive skating season may be wrapping up, but the stories and history of our alumni keep on coming. Many of these stories are being shared for the first time and are full of passion and love for our sport. For this episode of our podcast, our alumni committee chair, Debbie Wilkes, visits with Saskatchewan's Doug Steele, whose career in skating spans decades from learn to skate toddler to Skate Canada president. Along the way, Doug was tasked with developing the national and international competitive framework for what was to become synchronized skating. Debbie and Doug welcome you to their conversation. Doug, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, as we're talking here in the spring, I'm hoping that winter has finally given up its grasp in Saskatchewan. How are things looking? It's good. Yeah, it's good. Spring has finally arrived. I said the snow is all melted. Yesterday we saw a couple of robins in the backyard, so that means spring is here. Thank all goodness. good. All good. It also means uh, that it's kind of the end of the skating season, although we certainly see competitions, uh, Grand Prix events throughout the summer, we typically think of skating being over once Worlds is over. Now, I know you haven't uh, necessarily been involved from the officials end of things or the volunteer end of things. I'd love to get your take on where you see skating today. Skating in general or synchro skating? Let's talk just in general. You have such a broad experience and we'll get into that in a minute, but I'd love to get your uh, opinions on the state of the sport, I guess, is the way to describe it. Well, I think, I think what I'm seeing in skating today, like the current skaters are out there, it's, it's like a cycle that if we go back, say, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, today's skating, and then try and predict where we're going to be 10 years, 20 years ago. Like you've got all these young, these young skaters coming out of, out of Japan, out of Russia. Uh, you've got some really strong men coming out of the United States. Um, in some ways, I see this as a bit of a blip in the system. And, and, and in some other ways, I think, oh, my goodness, you know, some of these countries are, are certainly starting to dominate the, uh, dominate the sport. And um, I think some of the rules and regulations that the ISU has put in place are making things very interesting in the skating. Like some people are very critical of the, of the restrictions uh, that skaters need to do now with, you know, so many, so many step sequences, so many jumps, so much whatever, and there's so much concentration on building up points that the pure skating enjoyment um, just isn't there anymore. I thought it was really interesting. Um, just a couple of days ago, there was a, a YouTube blurb uh, popped up on, uh, on Facebook uh, celebrating Janet Lynn's birthday, 
Now, you remember Janet Lynn from back in the early 70s. I and they showed her. They showed her program from Worlds in 1970. And honest to goodness, it's so beautiful, the flow and the grace and whatever. doesn't have all these quad jumps and triple jumps, but it's lovely, lovely skating. And some people sort of miss that. And some people love to see how much further these men are going to go with quads. And, oh, my goodness, it's... It's an exciting time, really. It sure is. And thinking of Janet Lynn, I, I actually have a visual of that performance as you were describing it. And thinking, you know, perhaps our concentration has changed. But hopefully, as the skating world adapts and, and recognizes the importance of some of the beauty of those past years of skating. Hopefully, you know, we're in, as you describe, a transition period and we will get to a point in the sport where it's not only about quad jumps, but about beautiful skating, beautiful, beautiful Exactly. Skating. I'm always a little concerned about all these young, you know, these young athletes, you know, uh, some of, the, some of the, the women skaters now, like they're 13, 14, 15 years old doing all these triple jumps, some of them quads. I was wondering about, you know, their poor legs, their knees down down the road. Like, I keep thinking if I did a quad jump, my leg would look like a corkscrew. <laughs> well, I think back to when I started and doing an axle or a double jump, you know, that was key. Like, that was really Oh, well, yes, done. exactly. Now they <clears throat> don't even warm up with double jumps. Oh, uh, no, exactly. Yeah, That's exactly. progress. That's progress. Let's talk <laughs> about your beginning in the sport. Um, fill us in and fill our listeners in to how you began. As a as a young skater or with uh, administrative Let, work. Let's let's talk first about your skating career. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh, I grew up in a a small farming um, area, rural area in Saskatchewan. And like every community in Saskatchewan, um, there's a rink, and that becomes the hub of winter activities because there's not much else to do when it's bitterly cold in Saskatchewan. And everybody goes to the rink. My dad was the caretaker of the rink. My mom used to work in the canteen. And I was a little rink rat that kind of lived at the rink. And when the rink opened, I was the first kid on the ice. And I was the last one to get off the ice before my dad shut the doors and we went home for the night. So I learned to be a really good skater. And the boys used to rip around the ice there, see how fast we could go. And we learned to do, um, it's like not barrel jumping, we just jumped over cardboard boxes and, you know, whatever it was. And the girls used to... um, used to skate around in the center of the ice during their skating things, and we used to mimic what they were doing, their spirals and the spins and whatever, and I actually got quite good at doing this. And in fact, I could do an axle on hockey skates. And when I was about 13, the lady who organized the skating club said um, to my parents, like, he might do really well if we put him on figure skates. Well, my dad wasn't all that happy about that, but... Mom said, well, give it a try. So the lady died. She had a pair of um, hand-me-down skates that her daughter had outgrown. And she dyed them black for me, which was a good color because it soon matched my knees and my elbows and my chin. So all the time, it fell flat on my face on the picks. 
But I turned out to be, you know, a, a pretty good skater. And we had what was called the uh, traveling professional coaches that would come to our club um, once a week to give uh, lessons to all us kids. So we learned, we learned how to jump and spin. We didn't learn any dances and school figures. We'd never even heard of them. But we, you know, we learned, we learned the basics of skating. And by the time I was 18, these coaches that I had 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 moved on to other things or retired and clubs were looking for somebody to continue the teaching of the kids that were there. So I, I was pretty good. I had a car and had the time, so I said I would do this. So for the next 12 years, I was the busiest little fella in the community teaching uh, skating to about six or seven clubs a week, driving all over the countryside to work with all these little kids. Did that for 12 years. Wow. So then by the time we were so 30 and getting married and kids coming and building houses, and it was time to hang up, hang up the skates doing that kind of thing. And then I got into administrative work, and that was another whole, whole lifestyle. And how did that begin? What were your first jobs? Were you volunteering at the local clubs, or how did that build? Yes, well, you know, like from the, oh, yes, and yes, in the, the little club here in North Battleford, uh, we were everything, music chairman, judge chairman, test chairman, you know, we kind of did it, did everything, and uh, our kids were just babies at the time. And people said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "You know, by the time the by the time my girls are ready to skate, I want to see we have a really strong club here." So I'm, you know, and I'm kind of keen and interested in doing that. <clears throat> and then during some during my coaching days, um, I had worked with Vern Freeball from Saskatoon area who was working on the original NST program, the National Nationals. Skating Test Program, yes, which, yes. Was, which was the forerunner of Townskate. So then I, I got elected to the Saskatchewan board as the Townskate director. So then I ran around the countryside doing all these workshops, training all these amateur coaches and people how to run, how to run the early stages of that Townskate program. So then in 1982, the annual, the uh, Skate Canada annual meeting was going to be in Saskatoon. And um, the people encouraged me to, you know, to run as a director. And I said, you can't run as a director. Nobody knows who you are. And they said, well, you know, if you don't stand up and be counted, nobody's going to know who you are. So anyway, I I ran for director and lordy, lordy, I got elected. And, And at that time, the elected, there were eight elected directors and each of those directors was appointed to the, to be a chairman of the na- a national committee. So, given my background with uh, the Canscape program, and I had been on a member of the national Canscape program at the time, I expected to be nominated or appointed as the chairman of the Canscape committee. So, David Dorr was the president at that time, and he came to me and he said, "There's a new discipline out there. It's called precision team skating." And I want you to take charge of that committee and that program, and I want you to either make it go or make it go away, one or the other. And I want you to meet uh, Jerry Watcher. He's from the Eldrintree Club, and I want the two of you are going to work together and uh, do the first Canadian championship of this discipline next year. Got that? I said, ooh, okay. So I went back to the back to the hotel room and. My wife said, "So, are you the are you the new Canscape chairman?" I said, "No, no, I'm I'm the chairman of something called Precision Team Skating." She said, "And what is that?" And I said, 
really? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about it, but I better find out pretty fast because me and this other guy are supposed to be doing a Canadian championship next year. So by God, Debbie, it was like baptism by fire. I bet, but I can't imagine any other person so well-equipped to take on that. What What would be the year? Remind me the this year. Is, in 19, 1982. 82. And then the first Canadian championship we had in 1983. And you see, what we did then was um, all, all of the national committees had a, a representative from each of the 13 sections. So we, we, got, we, we put our committee together, <clears throat> and boy, I had some fantastic people that, particularly from the, from the Ontario section, that, and that time there were still the four sections, yes. people who had a lot of experience what was going on, and the East-West people were as keen as could be to find out what this was all about and, and uh, you know, get, get this whole discipline going. And so I had a really good committee to work with, and then we had some fantastic people out of the national office who were pushing pushing the envelope as well to try and get this. Because we had to write policy guidelines, rules, uh, directions for uh, the Canadian championship, how it was going to be organized, um, judging, ju- judging papers. Oh, my God, we had to write everything. So it was, it was a lot of work in, in those days, and... The coaches that were involved at that time, and you see, at that time, synch- uh, precision had been going for a number of years in the Ontario area, a little bit in Quebec, but not so much any place else in the country. And the, Ilderton was hosting um, a competition, the Ilderton International, for two or three years, and they had like 150, 180 teams competing in this competition. So they were the ones that were pushing hard to move this forward to a Canadian championship. So the coaches that were involved already were really the people who drove that program. Um, So creative. Every time we went to a competition, one of those teams had another new element that we had never seen before. So, well, we better add that one to our repertoire of, you know, how to judge and, and stack them all up. Like, God, we got all these, lot, these wheel maneuvers now. We got all these block maneuvers. And we had to start ranking them, like, which was more difficult? Uh, how, how do you judge this? We had judge training to do and all kinds of stuff. So, like, so 1983 came along, and we had that first Canadian championship. And we piggybacked off the Elderton International event at the time. And um, we had a qualifying round, and we did the Canadians. We did a novice, junior, senior. And when the dust settled at the end of the competition, and we handed out the medals in, in those three events, a team from Edmonton won the junior event, and all the other eight medals went to teams from Western Ontario. Yeah, so we sat back and said, hmm? It's amazing. The, yeah, the and you know, and then we said, the like, Really, that's not really that's not really a Canadian championship. This was really a glorified Western Ontario section all over again. Yes. So then the next year we decided we had to do something to kind of re- you know recognize the eastern and western provinces that were coming. So we set up another new criteria. Well, it, it was fine because we had say like nine teams in the finals, three from the west, 
three from central Canada and three from eastern Canada. Well, again, the the teams in central Ontario were so, so strong, they still end up one, two, three, and the teams that didn't qualify, they were annoyed because they thought that they were even better than, you know, the teams who had qualified. So the early years were periods of real adjustment, and then we still, we, we spent two years in Elderton, and then we got concerned about the travel costs. Like, will these teams travel someplace else? So we said, let's move the competition out to uh, Thunder Bay, see what happens there. Everybody came to Thunder Bay. Oh, wow, I'm surprised at that, but that's not that far away from, you know, the main thing. So the next year we said, this, we've got to really test the system, went to Vancouver. Guess what? Everybody came to Vancouver. So the next year we went back to Montreal. Everybody came to Montreal. So we said, really, you know, these teams are crazy. They don't care about travel costs. They're going to go wherever they need to go to compete. So early days were actually a lot of fun, a lot of hard work. So, Doug, uh, fill me in if you recall some of the names that uh, you have admired so much in the development of precision skating at the time who like, who like the coaches some of those people yeah coaches organizers well I'll, t- I'll tell you you know some of the coaches uh one of the early coaches that was highly respected in 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 the movement at the time was uh, marge black from uh, the london london team and she had the london supremes that were a, really a spectacular team in, in their day and they were they were winning all over the place and the first time i had ever seen precision team skating was her team and i thought oh my god what is this they look like paper dolls all strung together they were you know just it was quite spectacular and so then we had people like kathy dalton kathy mikowski wendy coates brenda bradica there was a there was a, a a coach from the delhi team and i keep trying to remember her name i think it was like karen haskins but i'm I don't know whether that's the right name or not, but Delhi was another really strong, strong contingent, and then and then we got Lynn Forger starting to come out with the pirouettes out of out of, uh, out of um, uh, Quebec, and Reddy Boucher, who was a great pusher for for precision skating in uh, in in the Quebec area. Uh, I had talented people like um, uh, Harold Scher was working in the office at that time. Cynthia Alapan was another really strong, strong supporter, and uh, oh god, there was a there was a lot of really, really good people. And when you were originally designing uh, events and criteria and training judges, uh, promoting the sport within the traditional disciplines, what were some of the hardest challenges? I think I think in some cases um, convincing people that precision team skating was a real skating discipline. There's a lot of people, like we had a few coaches out there that said it's not real skating, and they actually banned it in some of their clubs. Um, some some of the areas had great difficulty in. Uh, building teams because they couldn't find enough skaters in their club. Um, and, and in those days, um, big te- teams were almost, almost all the teams had 24 skaters on them. Yeah. And that was, a lot of, that was a lot of skaters. And then, by God, I couldn't believe it. I went to one, one year's competition. Several of the teams had up the numbers to 32 
Yes. Now, 32 skaters on the ice was a lot. You put them in a line across the ice, and in many of those rinks where the, you know, was not Olympic-sized ice, they actually had to almost skate hip-to-hip in order not to hit the boards. Yeah, growing pains, I growing guess. Pain, growing growing pain. pains. And, and then now, now teams are, are struggling to find, see, the, then, then the ISU started saying, like, we've got to drop these numbers down to 20. And so I was opposed to 20 because if you look at configurations of 24, when you're building, building a team, you've got 4 by 6 and 6 by 4 and 2 by 12 and blah, 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 whatever. If you go down to 20, you're losing a whole bunch of those configurations because now you could sort of got 2 by 10 and 5 by 4, and that's it. So it doesn't, I can't do some of these elements because I don't have enough skaters to do that. So I kind of oppose that, and some of some of our skaters, like Shelley Burnett at the time, that had uh, I think the Burlington teams at that time, um, she was she was highly in favor of dropping down to twenty because she said I can't I have a hard time finding twenty four strong skaters for my team. So then then recently the ISU dropped those those numbers down to sixteen again. I thought, you're just ruining the whole sport. Well now when I watch the ISU stuff with the sixteen. The strength, the flow, the power, the speed, everything they're doing is so incredible. It couldn't have been done with the 24 and 24 skaters. And, yeah. and, and now the new programs are, you know, they're opening it up to, you know, much more free skate kinds of elements being built into it, which I think is taking away from what, what the original concept of synchronized skating was all about, you know. At one time, used to be a huge penalty for, for highlighting an individual skater or a pair of skaters or whatever. Now that seems to be a big feature, like you highlight as much as you want. So it's changing. So the question here then, let's just cycle back to the beginning. What was the original philosophy of precision skating? What was its goal? Do you, know, do you know when it first started, it was really interesting. Charlie Dover was the president at the time. The uh, Canada uh, president, or Canadian Canada, Figure Skating Association, I guess it was at that time. And, and, he, and he, mandate, he, he had a mandate. He said the average age of the Canadian skater is 10 years old. And he said, we're losing too many skaters at the ages of 13 and 14 that... Um, are moving on, they've now gone other interests, they lost interest in skating, they're doing other kinds of sports, they're getting interested in boys, all, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want, I would like to see us create a, a, a program, something to keep skaters skating longer and having fun with skating. So Elizabeth Swan at that time was on the board and she was tasked with this, this project. So she phoned me up and said, because uh, I was on the Canscape committee at that time, and she said, I would, I would like you to join my committee and put some input into this. And so I said, fine. So she, had, she invited myself and Doug Lee, who was just really a young, young coach in those days, and Jerry Kay, who was, a, was one of the big, strong pushers of of the synchro movement in uh, in Western Ontario. So the three of us met with Elizabeth, and she started going on with this 
this request of Charlie Dover's and some visions that she had, and she asked us if we ever had seen the New York Rockettes. And, of course, I had because they used to come, some of them used to come out to the, uh, they were dancing with the Royal American Midway shows at the, at the traveling fairs. I was amazed at these girls, how high they could kick their legs and all kinds of stuff like that. Eh? So we asked, and I said, yes, I knew what that was. And she said, wouldn't it be fun to have groups of skaters like that um, coming down the ice, all in the same costumes, kicking their legs and doing all these fancy things like the New York Rockettes? And Doug, Doug Lee and I looked at each other and said, oh, my Lord, this lady's daft. <laughs> she thinks that's... <laughs> If that's, if that's a fly, you know, whatever. Well, lo and behold, I bet you I've told this story a million times, Debbie, that if poor poor Elizabeth Swan could see what she had created, she would just roll over in her grave with joy. Absolutely. It, it, worked, it worked, and, you know, at one time, we had more than 600 registered um, precision teams, synchro teams in Canada. And they went all the way from these teeny tiny little four or five-year-old beginners to these adult groups of 65, 75-year-old skaters out there. So the concept of keeping people more active in skating and some enjoyment and have, having fun, it, it, it certainly worked. And that was, that was Charlie Dover's dream and Elizabeth Swan's dream. And, and I, was the, I was one of the big pushers behind it to get it all going. You made it happen, Duck. That's fantastic. I had lots of of help. I have to say I had lots of help. Do you still skate? No. No. You know what? I'll tell you. It's it's a funny story because I still have my skates. But uh, um, when my uh, granddaughter, she's 12 now, when she was about four or five, she was here visiting. I said, well, let's, let's go up to the rink and take her skating. And I went and put, tried to put my skate. I could hardly get my foot into my skate, you know. So when I finally managed to get in them and stood up, oh, my Lord, they're pinching my toes. And I said, you know, like, I guess the difference between when I used to wear these skates, I weighed 125 pounds, and now I weigh 225 pounds. I've got fat feet. They, can't, they don't fit anymore. So. <laughs> well, I feel kind of the same where I live. There's a wonderful outdoor rink in the wintertime, which up to maybe a couple of years ago, I used to go and skate at occasionally with my grandchildren. And then um, I came to a point where I decided this is very foolish because you lose your balance, you lose your response. And I thought, I am I am now a danger to myself and to everyone exactly. else on the ice. <laughs> I stood so, out of the ice and looked down and said, oh, my God, it's a long way down there. <laughs> I know, and I'll never be able to get up again if I fall. Right. And honestly, in my skating days, I could actually skate better than I could walk. But when when I went on that ice for that few minutes that I did, I thought, oh, my God, get me off the ice before I break my leg. I know. I felt the same way. Getting older is not for sissies. I've no, that's right. That's right. Not for sissies. But um, now that we have a little bit of a handle on your tremendous contribution to precision, eventually to synchronized skating in Canada, how did it happen that you became president of the association? I'd love to hear that story. Well, you know, like I, um, like I said, I was elected in 1982, 
and everybody was elected for a two-year term. And uh, so 80, 82, 84, I was precision chairman. And then I think 84, 86, I was also, um, I don't know, I might have been precision and I might have been Canscape chairman in those two years. And in 86, and then you see, uh, I, I guess, I guess I was doing a good job and people recognized that here's a, here's a mover and a shaker and, you know, he's doing a really good job. And in, I think it was in 1986, uh, Peter Mumford was ill and passed away. And he was one of the vice presidents. And uh, the board said that we need to fill the vacancy and we think Doug should take on that position. So I kind of stepped in as vice president in that role in 1986 until the annual meeting. And then I think when the election came, I was officially elected as the vice president. And so again, you had two years and we kind of, it was set up in a way that you were vice president representative to all the committees and activities that were involved in, in domestic skating Mm-hmm. Then the next two years, you were you were the vice president of I don't know the the administrative kind of things, and then your last two years of of being vice president was in charge of you were in charge of all the international programs. So in the last two years, you got to go. Uh, with the teams to the world, to the world skating, if there were whatever was going on, so that you were being exposed to the other officials around the world as the incoming new president of of of, of uh, uh, CFSA at that time, okay, Skate Canada, <clears throat> and so uh, that's so I spent like those six years in in the vice president role, and so then it was kind of like an automatic, um, just um. You just kind of moved up the ladder, and um, unless unless you were unless you were doing something that people really didn't like, it was just kind of a, a crowning thing. So, come 1992 at the annual meeting, it was my turn to be the president, and so for two years I was president, and that's kind of how you just every two years you just kind of moved moved on and up and out the door. So. Was it kind of? Um, I'm sure you felt like you were president in training. Obviously, um, oh, yes. were there? What kind of time was it in skating in the sport at that time? And how did you feel? Uh, how? What skills did you feel you could contribute to um, fixing those things or to advancing the sport? Well, David Dore. I mean, David. David then was, you know, uh, uh, was the director general. And he always had a very strong vision of the, where, where we needed to go. Okay? And David and I thought very much along the same lines. And we were really good for each other about bouncing ideas back and forth. And I would say, David, I have, a, I have an idea. What do you think of this? And he says, God, I can't believe you thought of that because I was just going to tell you about a project that involves the same kind of thing. So that was that was really good, and uh, I I was always the person that was um, um, highly highly organized. Um, 
very enthusiastic about what we were going to do and supportive of <clears throat> whatever we could do. And I could sort of see the good things and the bad things that, okay, we need to, we need to change this if we want this to kind of happen. And it wasn't really hard convincing people on the board of actions that, actions that we really needed to do. So, so what, were, what would you say were some of the greatest accomplishments uh, that you led the organization to during your time as president? Well, you know, that's really interesting because David said to me one day, like, what do you think your legacy is going to be to the to the sport? And I said, I don't know. I, I just I just want to kind of keep the whole movement sort of going. And like and everybody sort of had something that said, you know, I brought in the new accounting system. I brought in the new Skate Canada thing. I brought in the T-set program for funding for athletes or whatever. I never really had any of those kinds of big big lofty goals or whatever. And, you know, during my time of president uh, <clears throat> was probably the best of the best times. We had, we had it those, in those days the great story of Kurt and Elvis. Right. And we had no problems filling 15, 16, 18,000 dollars. The seat capacities in arenas with you know our competitions to see these two guys go at each other and we had like the pair skaters the dancers everybody it was just phenomenal and David would phone me you know from the office in Ottawa and say we have a problem I said oh what's the problem he said we have too many sponsors <laughs> Um, we just, we just had another offer, half a million dollars from this guy to do whatever, a million dollar sponsor for this. It was like having the King Midas touch. <clears throat> and it was all because of the, the, you know, the, the quality of skating and the, and the hosting and the vision, the, you know, the vision that we had. And it, and then in those days, you know, like, um, uh, we did all kinds of wild and crazy things at our annual meetings that people would come to the annual meetings just to sort of say, what are these characters going to come up with this year? I can remember one time <clears throat> they, we were introducing some new, something new with Canscape program or whatever, and they built a ramp and they wanted, they got us on roller skates and we came sliding down this ramp through um, a, um, a brown paper wall and holding out brochures and skating around, around the ballroom with handing out those brochures. I think, oh my God, we were crazy in those days. <laughs> <clears throat> it sounds like a wonderful story. And, and, but we, and we, had, uh, we had these laser beams, you know, and laser shows going on. The meetings were just quite spectacular. And then, of course, we would always, we had special guests come in. And I don't know, two or three times during my day, we had Barbara Ansk, got up as uh, as um, our our guest at Canadians or whatever, and uh, I'll never forget an opportunity at Cops Coliseum when I was president. I had the honor of we had to go from the hotel through the mall to the uh, to the uh, to the rink. <clears throat> so it was opening ceremonies, and the arrangements were made that we would meet in the lobby at whatever time. So I'm there in my tuxedo and all set to go, and down comes Barbara, and she's got this shimmering emerald green dress on and a humongous big white ermine stole and her white hair oh god she just looked like like a goddess eh? 
So I said, my lady, and she took my arm, and so here we go, prancing through the mall, and everybody's looking at us saying, what the hell are those people doing? You know, where are they going, eh? So uh, over to the arena we got, for opening ceremonies, and when we got there, Barbara Ann was livid. She was so mad at David Dorr, I thought she was going to kill him. And uh, uh, people say, like, why was she mad at David? Well, David had made a sleigh for her to ride on, uh, over top of a, a golf cart, okay? And she was going to sit in this and they would take her around the rink or whatever. Well, guess what? The sleigh was royal blue and her dress was emerald green. And she was not happy that she was clashing with the sled. She wanted to go back to the hotel and change her dress. <laughs> when they say, well, there's no time. Well, she reluctantly got on the sled and waved at everybody. But And you know, like... Um, I was always impressed. I used to always show my neighbors the first Christmas card I ever got each year for years was one from Barbara Ann. And I said, God, never in my wildest dreams would I ever have thought that Barbara Ann Scott would be on my Christmas card list. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful story? I yes. I know Barbara Ann was, there's, there's a reason why she held Canadian, North American, European, World, and Olympic titles. She right. was absolutely dedicated to detail. So I, I totally understand the nature of that story. What a wonderful thing to be involved in. You must have lots of great highlights throughout your skating career, both as a, an athlete, as a coach, as an administrator, president of the association. Can you give me a couple of examples of what some of those highlights might be? Well, I guess I've always said that, you know, one of the, one of the biggest thrills for me was, um, was uh, uh, becoming national president. And I that it's a kind of another like, wow, I can't believe this. Here's this little farm kid from rural Saskatchewan who learned to skate on a slew, is now the president of the largest figure skating body in the world. How did that ever happen? Yeah. So that was, that, was a, that was really a great day for me. I, I was, that, was, that was really special. And the other, one was, the other one was when I was elected to the first... Um, technical committee for synchronized skating for the ISU. Um, that was a lot of hard work, and that those five, the five of us on that committee, were now tasked with taking what we had done here in North America and try and develop it over for Europe to see if we can get all the European countries going on this thing. Well, I'll tell you, for four years there, I almost lived over in Europe, going back and forth, and there was lots of times when I'm saying like. What am I, I, I'm here in Helsinki, I'm doing a judges seminar, I've got Swedish judges and coaches and Finnish and Russians, why am I telling all these people this stuff, I, you know, like I'm thinking, my God, you've come a long way, boy, if you, you know, doing these kinds of things, so, you know, that, being on that technical, I mean, it was a real highlight, because we really, we worked hard, we, you know, we had lots of fun doing that, and then the other one, I guess, was working my way up the ladder in the judging world, because I got into it really late, but the day that I was ISU judge and, and judged uh, the first world, my first world championship in Ottawa in 19, 2003, I guess, it was a competition in Ottawa, 
I thought that, that was really thrilling. I thought, oh my God, I never thought I'd ever be a world judge. And then a couple of years later, I <clears throat> got my um, referee status and refereed the 2011 Worlds, which was another really highlight. And then when I look back, you know, between junior worlds, this is all synchro stuff, eh? Between yeah. junior worlds, senior worlds, and being a member of the Officials Assessment Commission, I officiated at 11, 11 world championships. And I came home one time, and uh, I had to go to a, um, a really little recreational uh, competition, and um, the tech rep for the competition was a good friend of mine, but she had an evil streak in her, and she assigned me to judge Cam Skate Stage 1, and <laughs> these little three- and four-year-olds um, had to do the duck walk. They had to do um, uh, gliding on two feet and something, three little elements, <laughs> whatever, you know. And so that was right after judging World Synchro in Ottawa, and I said, I don't know any judge ever who, who judged can skate stage one and a world championship all at the same week. <laughs> that, that's an absolutely wonderful snapshot of the world of skating, isn't it? Yes. When you think about it. And, um, you know, I hear your story about wondering, how did I get here when I came from there? And, and yet, there must be something in your personality. You're not afraid. You're you're willing to take risks. What do you think it is? I don't. I just you know what I I think part of my brain from spending all that time in a rink was frozen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Do you know? Do you know? Like in those coaching days, I was working full time, thirty five hour a week job, and coaching thirty five hours a week. Like I was on the ice every night, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, uh, two two Saturdays, Sunday afternoon. I I I spent literally fifteen, eighteen hours a day doing figure skating. It was just. It was like an addiction. And, um, you know, even in even my house, like Pat was involved as, as an accountant and she was the test chairman. She was all, you know, all kinds of stuff. And like we always said, like our house was a skating house. Yes. Um, you know, and and people, people all over would phone me. And I used to have an office down in the basement. And I said, oh, just a minute, I have to go get that file down in the filing cabinet. Well, the next thing I knew, everything was upstairs all over the dining room table. And we had skating papers in every direction. And I don't know, it's just, it was it was a hobby. And, and um, people said, uh, uh, I said something about a real commitment. And they said, commitment, you should have been committed. <laughs> well, and let's point out too that this is all volunteer stuff. It's, it's all volunteer. Not, yeah, it it is a commitment to use that word, a commitment to the sport, and I I feel your passion about it, and I think that that's a feeling that ties us all together. If you're bitten by the bug, if you um, feel the the wonderful impact of the sport and the ability to um, utilize the skills that it teaches us in the rest of our lives. Are we not blessed? No. 
Yes, yes, for sure. And you know, like, and there's, and there's, there's lots of me's all over the country. You know, like, there's really, really many, many, many totally dedicated people that you know do have done the same thing that I was doing all those years and giving giving their giving their all to the sport. Yeah. And and I think that's another great gift that we have because although uh what the public generally sees are is the tremendous performances are the tremendous performances from our teams and from those skaters whether it's local national or international that grab the media somehow grab attention uh, they are the tip of the iceberg but there are the thousands and thousands of skaters underneath that who may oh. never make it to a major event and they are all supported by thousands of volunteers like yourself again mm-hmm. who may never make it uh, to a national board of directors but who participate at the club level and perhaps the regional level to make sure that skating uh, is it success in the community? And I, I certainly feel we're so lucky to have that wonderful team behind the sport. You spoke about your wife uh, being involved as well. What about your daughters? Um, well, the, the, we had two daughters, and when they were little, they both skated. They both skated. Um, uh, the older one, she'd... Uh, She'd skate for a while, and then she'd quit, and then she'd start up again, and then she saw Elizabeth Manley skating at uh, the Olympics in Calgary, and she wanted to be like Elizabeth Manley, and then she'd quit, and then she'd go at it again, and I used to call her my reincarnated Sonia Henney because she would come and go. So she was a bit of a recreational skater, and, uh, uh, you know, not 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 terribly competitive and uh, she kind of made sort of midstream achievements in the in the dancing free skate you know uh, junior bronze free skate maybe yeah junior bronze senior junior silver dancer something like that anyway and the other little one uh we actually because uh just of time driving kids back and forth we put the two of them together out at our civic at our agriplex rink which is kind of a cold cold rink and um she would she would hover in the corner and and uh there were more more of the bigger kids on the ice than she was she was only about six maybe and uh, she'd come in and say uh, my fingers are cold i said okay warm them up okay go out there and practice Two minutes, she's back in again. My feet are cold. No, your feet aren't cold. Well, warm them up. She come back in. My ears are cold. And then she came in one time. The music's too loud. <sighs> when she came in, she said, the wind is blowing. I said, the wind isn't blowing. Well, it took us a while to figure the wind blowing out. And <clears throat> Brent Frank at that time was like a novice, novice uh, Canadian skater, maybe junior from our club. Yeah. And he was a fast skater. And when he went by, by her, the wind was blowing. <laughs> so she was, a bit, she was a bit terrified of being out on the ice. And so the next year we said about skating, she said, nope, I want to go swimming. Well, my wife was ecstatic because now she could go to the swimming pool where it was warm, and I had to go to the rink where it was cold with the other one. So. It's all about choices. <laughs> <laughs> and now we, now we have granddaughter that's uh, skating out of the uh, Cal Alta Club in Calgary. 
Well, now she's having the time of her life. She's in the star at the Star Skate program, and loves it. Loves it. She's skating uh, four times four times a, a week, and uh, she skated on a, a, um, a synchronized skating team this year. And their team won the gold medal at the competition, so they were all excited. And and uh, so I said, "Oh my God, the cycle is starting all over again." That's and we right. live about. Seven hours from Calgary, but Grandpa has to go to every skating competition, everything she's doing over there. So the cycle's starting all over again. You bring the good vibes. They're all good vibes. Um, yeah, right. I know we're getting close to the end of our time, um, so I, I want to kind of sum up, if we can, with advice you would give, first of all, to... Uh, potential athletes uh, next to potential organizers and finally to the sport in general what would be some advice you might pass along well I guess um, I guess one is is the commitment um, you know and to go into the sport and Give it, give it your all. Do your, you know, do your best. Um, like kids today are kind of, I think they're a little bit over-programmed. <clears throat> you talk to lots of lots of families with little girls that are out there. They're in dancing. They're in skating. They're in uh, taking music lessons. They're taking singing lessons. They're you know committed all all kinds of things. And I think it's difficult to you know to, to do well in all of them. And and I and when when my our own daughters were young, people said, "Oh, those poor steel girls. Their dad's going to push them really hard." And I said, "You know what? I've seen enough skating moms and skating dads. I don't want to be one of those. I I will if you know I will I will set the conditions for success. And if I see that they're excelling in whatever." Then I'll push it a little bit harder, but I'm not going to push somebody into into the sport to live, you know, to live my dreams, you know, that I didn't make it. So let's let's make you know make her do that because I think that happens often, and I don't I don't want to see that happen for kids. And I think the other thing is you want to go into this knowing that it's it's something that's fun to do, and uh, I think people also forget that. Um, Training of skating at that early age, you know, through to be 18, 20 years old, is really career building. Like, where did the coaches come from that we have out there now? They came from programs like what we've been talking about, and they learned to skate, and they they went through the test system, and they went through the competitive system, and they became really good. And now they're now they're coaches, and so and they're making a, a good living at, at coaching skating. And and I find that some people don't really realize that you know uh, if you're into into the figure skating thing, it it can lead to you know some good jobs for especially especially for for some of the you know the the female skaters are out there that um we're always thankful when we see uh, 
uh, a, a Mountie move to town or something and find out that his wife was a figure skating coach. Whoa, this is what we've been looking for for a long time, you know. Well, certainly it's a sport that provides tremendous adventure, wonderful accomplishment, uh, sets us on a path that I think many of us who have been involved throughout our life, uh, I'm certainly one of them would feel that skating has uh, given me just about everything. It's fantastic. And Doug, uh, as we wind up today talking with Doug Steele, former president of the Canadian Figure Skating Association and one of the front runners in the development of the precision skating uh, then to become the synchro skating movement. Uh, Doug, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. And finally, I I just want to thank you for all that you've given to skating, all of the time and energy and vision. It's certainly uh, a tremendous legacy that you have left. Thanks a lot, Debbie. Great talking to you. And like I said, uh, I'll tell you, it's been a slice. (laughs) It sure has. Thanks, Doug. I hope we see you at an event soon. Uh, For sure. Thanks a lot, Debbie. Bye for now. Bye for now. Thanks again to Doug and Debbie for joining us today, and I hope you enjoyed this reflection on Doug's career. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, you're encouraged to go on to our alumni blog at alumni.skatecanada.ca. You can comment on today's episode, and while you're there, feel free to listen to all of our past episodes. Next to the podcast, we have a monthly blog post as well. On our most recent post, we have an exciting uh, we have exciting news rather for alumni planning to attend the World's 2020 Championship in Montreal. Uh, Eric Radford has also shared with us his experiences at Worlds 2019. And we have a short video piece celebrating Caitlin Osmond's career as she announces her retirement from competition. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. Just search for Skate Canada Alumni Podcast on Google Podcasts or iTunes. That way you won't miss our next episode. Thanks once again for taking the time to join us today, and we'll see you next month.